You are listening to The Whole Church Podcast. Our efforts to educate and unite the church are made possible thanks to our sponsors on Patreon. Please consider joining them for $3 a month at patreon.com forward slash The Whole Church Podcast. We will get access to our extra bonus content like our Pet Peeves segment where we discuss our guests' pets and their peeves within the church today. 2 Timothy 2, 11-15 says, This saying is trustworthy. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to fight about words. This is useless and leads to the ruin of those who listen. Study to show yourselves approved unto God as a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. So why do you believe St. Paul puts these ideas of avoiding fights about words, studying, and correctly teaching together there, Chad? Uh, I love that verse, and uh, it's, uh, you know, Paul, the Apostle Paul, writing to a young apprentice, basically, in the Lord Timothy, and giving him training. It's like a young pastoral training <laughs> letter. Um, traditionally, we call these letters the pastoral epistles, although for me, they're really mentoring uh, epistles, and uh, being a young pastor myself, take great uh, encouragement from them. But, uh, but I love that, love that phrase, correctly teach or correctly handle um, the word of truth. And, uh, and look, avoid, what, what was that phrase there? Godless chatter? Was that the... Uh, it was uh, avoiding fights about words. Fights about words. Well, there you yes. go. Well, this sounds like a great unifying uh, uh, scripture. And uh, both in the church and out of the church, people quarreling uh, about uh, words or definitions of, of, of words. Words have power. And so in some sense, words are worth fighting for uh, because they are powerful, powerful things. But God's word is a word of truth and it needs to be handled well. It can be handled poorly, uh, but we want to be among those like Paul encouraged Timothy who don't need to be ashamed because we handle it really well. Hey everybody, welcome to The Whole Church Podcast, possibly your favorite church unity podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Joshua Knoll. And uh, I don't have to say possibly, I am certain that I have your favorite co-host here, the one and only TJ Tiberius Juan Blackwell. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be back after my long vacation of seven yeah. days. He says that every week. Yeah. Yeah. It's true <laughs> every week. week. <laughs> we are joined today by, uh, I, we've, we've announced this a few times. I'm actually pretty excited. We're joined by Pastor Chad Mansbridge. He is a, uh, a pastor in Southern Australia, and he has recently written a book we're going to ask him about today called You Can Handle the Truth. Uh, he was kind enough to send me a copy, so we're excited to ask him some about that. Uh, just kind of discuss his beliefs, his book, and where it fits into the picture of the whole church. And uh, can't wait to jump on in. Yeah. And if you're a fan of the show, uh, consider hopping on over to Facebook. Uh, get active in our Facebook group. I'm not. You have to work harder than that to talk to me. Uh, but Josh is on all the time. Josh loves yeah. interacting with you guys. I just can't stand Facebook. It's called yeah. The Whole Church Group. It's super easy to find. The link is in the show notes. Check it out. It's a good time. I've heard. True. And uh, Pastor Chad, I, I I actually have a favorite form of unity. It's something we do regularly on the show here. Is We like to practice uh, the, sacred, the sacred rite of uh, silliness. 
uh, because it's just so hard to argue when you're being silly. It, it's impossible to have disunity when you're goofy enough. Not sure if that's true, but I do this anyway. Uh, TJ and I are going to answer this question first, give you a little bit of time to think about it. TJ, if you had to teach an animal, a non-primate animal, to ride a bike, which animal would you choose? Yeah, uh, I'm going to choose a blue whale. Why? We're either getting a really big bike, which would be cool, or a blue whale is going to ride a regular-sized bike, which is cool. I can't, like, I can't disparage that. Like, I'm just like, yeah, I think that threw me off so much that I don't even know how to answer this question anymore. I'm still going to give my lamer answer. I was going to say an African hound dog, because I still think it would be funny. Uh, also, they're one of my favorite animals, and I get to see an African hound dog. I thought that's pretty cool. And also... I just feel like a dog might be able to do it, you know? If I have to go non-primate, I can see it's possible. Maybe. No, I uh, just Patrick. assumed it was going to work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just going to work. Uh, Chad, yeah. if you had to teach an animal, a non-primate animal, to ride a bike, which animal would you choose? Well, it's so early in the morning for a question like that, Josh, but I do I, I, I do favor your view. <laughs> I, uh, dogs can do anything. I'm a dog guy, so I can certainly see yeah. that working. TJ's idea... Uh, of a whale. You know, I did think of fish. Now, I don't know whether that's a Dr. Seuss type of influence. I can just imagine a fish on a bicycle. Yeah. Uh, of course, it opens up all types of questions. Is it riding underwater or is it out of the water? T TJ, so there's, you know, there's sort of questions there. But I feel like as the Aussie in the room, I have to, I'm sort of obligated to say I can see a kangaroo riding a bike because they've got these massive dang feet, you see, and uh, uh -huh. big tail. I don't know how that's going to work. And then they've got these dicky little Tyrannosaurus Rex type of arms and uh, how that's going to hold on to a uh, to a to a bike? I don't know to steer that thing. So I, I think a route. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Legally, you had to say that. Yeah, I think so. Both of y'all's answers are more amusing than the dog, at least. I could. I could. I mean, a kangaroo would have to ride like a penny farthing, probably, like the you know the big wheel bicycle. That yeah. they're not like kicking the chain. I'd have to be proportionate. Sort of guy, I should have said gator. That would have been funny. I think most animals riding a bike would have been funny anyway. True. On to the, the real show, the actual whole church podcast. <laughs> One now thing, that we're, now we that we're divided on our opinion about that, let's talk about the, our unity in the, in, in the <laughs> thing that, things that matter. Yeah. yeah, now that we have thoroughly sown discord between us, would you mind <laughs> telling us a bit of your testimony? Because we found that it really does help with church unity, unlike the silly questions, apparently. Well, I can actually bring a bit of <laughs> a bit of uh, church unity into my story. Look, I'm I have the privilege of growing up in a Christian family, uh, essentially uh, a family within, I guess, what most people would call the Pentecostal tradition. Uh, but um, I really came to know Jesus myself while I sort of believed, you know, sort of uh, naturally believed in in God my whole life. Growing up in that kind of environment, it was really in my early teenage years that I can say I, I encountered God. I uh, really developed a relationship with. Uh, Jesus through the Holy Spirit, and uh, God became real to me, just not from a, a head knowledge, but a, a, a faith in my heart that I knew that I knew. Um, but some of my greatest development actually came from my folks sending me on summer camps. Now, you've got to think opposite here in Australia. So for us, the summer camp is over Christmas and New Year's Eve, because of course, we spend Christmas on the beach and, uh, you know, playing beach <laughs> uh, beach cricket and uh, drinking beer and, and uh, having barbecues outdoors in in uh, what you'd call probably 100 degree weather. So that's kind of what Christmas looks like to us. But around Christmas, uh, just after Christmas, my parents would send me on summer camp and they'd send me on a camp that had kids from all different kinds of church backgrounds. 
And uh, as a Pentecostal kid who grew up in one stream, it was great to go to a ecumenical or a mixed denomination or interdenominational, whatever term you want to use, uh, environment where I was rubbing shoulders with high school kids that were Baptist, Church of England, uh, the equivalent of Presbyterian, I guess over here, Methodist, those type of those type of vibes, and uh, it was really there. There was a formational stage in me where um, meeting kids of different church persuasions challenged me to uh, discover what I believed and why I believed it. Did I just believe things because I grew up in that particular church? That was all I knew and had some type of what we'd call nowadays an echo chamber of belief, or uh, did I were my beliefs really firmly established on the scripture? And so it was, you know, at that age, 15, 16 years of age, I remember sitting at this camp, Bibles open, sitting around in a circle, reading the 1984 NIV and walking uh, with these new friends I'd found through 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14, debating whether spiritual gifts were for today and what tongues was all about and, and these type of things that, in a sense, I took for granted uh, growing up in the church that I did, but now I was meeting what I was called were cessational, you know, a cessationalist Baptist uh, who uh, who had a very different view, but the same Bible. And so those years were sort of helpful for me to dig into the scripture. And uh, so the, by the time I went to college or university, as we, we, we say over here, um, I became the president of an evangelical uh, Christian university group. And so with Pentecostal roots, uh, but at evangelical challenges, uh, I feel like today I'm a Christian or certainly as a pastor now for 20 years uh, to have that uh, a healthy tension or a healthy balance between uh, the current now today manifestation operations of Holy Spirit as a living active person of the Godhead here on the earth today and active through his people uh, and the never changing eternal written word. Uh, I'd like to describe myself as a person of both word and spirit. Nice. I am vaguely related. I actually recently started writing a writing, reading a book um, that has to do with First Corinthians. So it's a historical fiction book, A Man at Arms, uh, by Stephen Pressfield. And they're trying to transport the book of Corinthians, knowing that the Romans don't want it out because it'll cause a revolt. So it's kind of like a desert Roman guy going all Wolf Logan from Wolverine, you know, that kind of deal. Really, really interesting book. But uh, more to the point, I, I was curious, what kind of Pentecostal, like what organization was it? Uh, so was the, up? yeah, the denomination, we're actually loosely, it was it, the denomination It was linked with a group that you wouldn't have over there in um, the States because it really had Australian roots to it, founded by a gentleman oh. called Leo Harris and uh, in the 70s, in the charismatic days, actually. So um, it was sort of founded in, in those days. But the church that I grew up in was very loosely uh, affiliated, uh, an autonomous type of uh, type of environment. So I didn't actually, that was an advantage for me. I didn't grow up with a denominational um, mindset or or strength, you know, some people they're like, I'm not Christian, I'm Lutheran, you know, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a Lutheran. Are you a Christian Lutheran, a Lutheran yeah. Christian? You know, they, they, you know, they introduce yourself, I am Lutheran, or I am Catholic, or I am Baptist, or whatever. I never really grew up with that. Um, so, because the church I was part of was quite autonomous, yes, it was part of an, a denomination, but it was relatively independent. Yeah, TJ and I both grew up in a Pentecostal churches. Um, church of God, a prophecy for both of us. I spent a little bit of time in the Assemblies of God too growing up and. I actually attend a Lutheran church now, so I'm all over the place. Um, <laughs> your church, you mentioned you pastored for 20 years. Your church is Bayside Church in Southern Australia. Um, 
from what I read, you went from a small group of families meeting in a high school drama room to one of the largest Christian churches. I don't know how to say that word. The Fleury region? Close. The Fleury. Yeah. South coast Fleury. of South Australia. Fun. Fun. What could you tell us about the journey from point A to point B there? Well, we were basically um, 23 years old when we planted or planted or pioneered the church and we were 23 and we'd sort of uh, just had our first child was about 10 months of age and we were at a crossroads in life where we weren't sure, uh, where I just sort of sensed like I needed a career change. I mean, career, come on, I was only just out of uni, so I was only working in retail uh, for a few years, but we just knew that we needed to, we had a child now, we needed to sink our teeth into something and and we knew something new on, was on the horizon for us. And over a summer holiday period of uh, really asking God to speak to us, you know, searching God's will, what's next for us? We knew there was options, and uh, but what was the next thing for us? Uh, we felt God speak to us very clearly that, um, quote, ministry. Now, I believe that all Christians are ministers, okay, but, uh, but sort of that uh, lead- local church leadership, let's say. Local church leadership was a core part of our imminent um, future. And so through a long stories of events and being convinced that God was calling us, uh, we, uh, we planted or pioneered a church at 23 years of age in my hometown, the, to- how, uh, the city that I grew up in, the region that I grew up in. So I moved to the city for university that's when God spoke to us uh, when we were young adults and we moved back to my hometown and uh, planted a church 20 years ago. And yeah, just, uh, you know, I was 23. I'd never preached in Sunday sermon. I'd never been an elder or on staff at <laughs> my church in the city. And so very much wet behind the ears. But I came from a church environment that believed that uh, in the priesthood of all believers, that all all believers have Holy Spirit are willing, are able to hear God and to serve him and minister uh, powerfully uh, by reliance upon him. And that God called people no matter what their age and no matter what their background, if grace, if God graces someone for a task, then, um, then you know, they must get on with it. You know, get, get out of the way. Don't get in God's way if someone, God has graced someone. And so, um, so yeah, it was a slow journey in, in many respects. The first seven years were really us just finding our feet and finding our, finding our vibe. Uh, but um, slowly but surely, we got a 24-hour facility and uh, 20 years in, we're now celebrating 20 years in 22. We actually got, launched a website called 20in22.com uh, just to celebrate 20 years. And uh, at the start of this year or soon after the um, start of this year, uh, my wife and I actually announced that God's calling us to our next journey and adventure in life. So this year, not only are we celebrating 20 years, but we're also handing over the uh, lead pastoring role to another couple in our church, and we're relocating city in just a few months' time. So I'm right in the middle right now of a 10-week lead pastor transition with a younger couple in our church. Oh, yeah. Y'all can't see it, but he's literally got an empty bookshelf behind him. Yeah. Yeah. At first, I thought it was just a decor choice. I thought it was a minimalist, but turns (laughs) out that's not the case. Yeah, I'm sick of all, all these all these people are. all these people doing Zoom trying to impress people with how many books they've got on their shelf as if they've read them all. You know, nah, I've just got an empty shelf. It's all cardboard boxes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's I just I sit next to the PS5. I let that speak for me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Apex but, Legends and uh... <laughs> yeah. But uh, oh, so man. one thing we like to do every so often on the show uh, to help our listeners get an idea of our guest beliefs is our speed round segment. And we're just going to ask you a series of questions, and there are two rules. Try to answer in one sentence or less, and we are not allowed to ask any follow-up questions. Ooh, I like that. Except the one, yeah. you know. Yeah. And I've only had one coffee, so I don't know how fast we're going to be able to go. <laughs> well, the actual speed is 
is less important than the one sentence thing. We're real stickers about that. Yeah, um, yeah it could be a run-on sentence, but it just has to have yeah. proper grammar. You have commas, semicolons, all that. Look, if you're yeah. if you're interviewing, it can be as long. If you're interviewing pastors on this on this podcast, I understand why you have to put a time limit on things. So go for it, bro. I'm ready. All right. <clears throat> what is the significance of baptism? First thing that came to my mind there is uh, it's a uh, uh, obedience, obedience to instruction from uh, the King of Kings. Does your church practice baby baptism? Baptism of babies? No. What do you believe about biblical inerrancy? Uh, I believe the original text was uh, inerrant. Do you believe in a literal seven-day creation? If by literal you mean, uh, we mean uh, according to the literature that it is written, uh, yes. If by literal uh, you mean 24-hour days uh, of the planet on which we live and the galaxies that we're discovering, my answer is no. All right. Do you believe in the continuation of the gifts of the Spirit? Uh, I'd say yes to that. Does your church practice speaking in tongues? Probably not all of them. Do you believe in a pre, mid, or post-tribulation reading of Revelation? Um, neither. Neither. <laughs> Can you say neither if there's three options? I was just wondering that. I'll say none of them usually. That's just <laughs> to cover my bases. The way that Are question more- phrased, I'm going to say neither. Yeah, go. Oh, yeah. We've gotten that before, so that's fine. Are you more Calvinist or Arminian? Oh, depends on the text I'm reading. <laughs> All right. Yeah. How many, if any, of the seven sacraments does your church practice? Oh, you better list them. Baptism, confirmation, Eucharist, reconciliation, anointing of the sick, matrimony, and holy orders. Oh, my goodness. Um, I, I will just have to say that my unfamiliarity with the those uh, those old school terms may uh, may may mean I can't give an accurate answer. That's fair. They are but old I'd probably I'd probably say majority. But then what you mean <laughs> by what you say may not be what I mean by what I say. <laughs> they are they are a couple thousand years old, some of them, so <laughs> that's yeah, I, I noticed snake handling wasn't in there. Isn't that a isn't that a thing in America? That's what Eucharist actually means is is snake yeah, handling. I, Got it. Yeah. I was confused on that yeah. one. Yeah. That's There's, how we do our Eucharist. I'm not up to date on this, but when I was at UNCW, so about 10 years ago, uh, snake handling was outlawed in all but like two different areas. So there's only like two churches in America that still do that. So there are like two Pentecostal churches over here in the West that uh, still handle snakes. And, and I'm going to assume that's two churches in the whole world, not just two churches in the States. Probably. <laughs> Most likely. Uh, but again... It's been a while since I updated myself on that, so I don't want to speak with any certainty. <laughs> Laws change a lot, it seems like. But that's if you did marvelously. Oh, thanks, Teach. It, it is the second most challenging thing a pastor can do on the show. <laughs> we'll get to the other one later. Last year, you published a fascinating book. I mentioned it earlier. You, you sent it to me. It's uh, You Can Handle the Truth. Uh, could you tell us some about the story or inspiration behind that book? Oh, wow. Yeah. So you can handle the truth. Listen, TJ, I open up this uh, podcast with uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2 about rightly dividing the word of truth or correctly handling the word of truth. I grew up on that rendering, uh, be a, a work person that correctly handles the word of truth. And essentially, that's Paul, the apostle's way of saying to a young minister, listen, there are there is a correct way and there's an incorrect way to handle the Bible. And uh, growing up from that experience, as I said, with those Christian camps and, and people from all different types of, of backgrounds and churches, and we were digging into the scripture to work out why we believe different things, it occurred to me at that 
young age as a teenager, that, listen, Christians can all have the same Bible, but we can come to very different conclusions as to what it says or what it means or how it matters to us today. Mm. And um, I wanted to know why. I, I have got no problem with people having different views and perspectives. I've got no problem with listening to different views and perspectives, it's, whether it's part of my temperament or part of my upbringing or just being you know, I don't know. That's just the way I am. I've got no problem with listening to people that have very different views on things. And um, But it fascinated me. How can we all have the same book yet come to very different conclusions? I'm sure your audience is very, very much uh, uh, adept with that. And the fact that you asked those 10 questions just mm -hmm. now sort of proves that. And um, so, yeah, so the, the book basically came out of a, a great passion as I've been a pastor now for 20 years. Uh, one of the great uh, passions that I have is helping people to handle the Bible for themselves. And there's an old adage that says, you know, you can give a man a fish and uh, you'll feed him for a day. But if you teach him how to fish for himself, he'll feed himself for a lifetime. And that's sort of the idea um, of what an Ephesians 4 teacher is called to do. If uh, we take Ephesians 4 seriously, which says that the uh, those gifts of the Spirit, okay, or gifts of the ascended Christ, if you prefer, um, are not just to do the works of the ministry, but their job is to equip every ordinary day Christians to do the works of the ministry, then a Bible teacher, uh, our Bible teacher's job is not just to teach the Bible, but is to teach others how to teach themselves is to equip the saints to handle the Bible well. And so teaching other people how to handle the scriptures, how not to misuse it or abuse it, but how to get the most out of it because it's handled properly, that has become one of the greatest passions uh, of my life. And a few years back, maybe five or six years back, I was in a place called New Zealand, uh, just across the the ditch from us, as we say, across a bottle of a body of water. It's near Australia. It's basically where Middle Earth is. Okay, and um, and yeah. we were doing a conference, and and I was speaking at a conference, and there was a whole bunch of Q and A. We did a Q and A session, and as I'm answering these questions from people, uh, the topic was uh, basically in and around the subject matter of grace. And uh, as I was answering these questions from the people from the audience, I, I realized, you know. These people can answer these questions themselves if they just knew how to read the Bible properly. You know, it's not that hard. You just get a, they're not actually asking questions on grace. They're asking questions on Bible interpretation. And that's pretty well true for almost anything. Eschatology, pneumatology, numerology, um, you know, the, the uh, Christology, any sort of ology you can imagine. Uh, it comes down to how are we supposed to interpret the scripture. And so the next year when I came back to that same conference, I thought, you know what, I'm going to do a session on hermeneutics. I'm going to do a, a teaching session mm -hmm. on how to interpret the scripture. And that sort of got me started on saying, you know, publicly, I should publicly teach on hermeneutics, how to interpret the Bible well. And uh, the more and more I taught on that, the more people said, Chad, you got to put this into a book, mate. you got to, you got to write this down because while there's age-old principles on how to handle the Bible well, there's a whole new generation that needs to hear it. And uh, I've got a number of books on Bible interpretation. Most of them are, you know, they're not on my shelf right now, but most of them are, are this thick. They're hardcover. They're full of technical terms. They are, you know, quite complex and complicated, actually. And I don't believe that Bible interpretation has to be complex. My goal was to present a, you know, a complex issue, but to present it in the most simple a matter-of-fact manner with a mentoring tone to hopefully reach the next generation of Bible students and, and Bible teachers themselves. So I think Bible interpretation is highly important and uh, we need to know how to go about it in a healthy way. Yeah, yeah. Well, you just said it. This book is all about hermeneutics, how to read the Bible. And um, I was curious, you know, a lot of, there's a few different models of how different people do that. Um, 
you know, you have the like historical grammatical one, you have the literal interpretation of the word. Um, I don't know what Pete End would describe his, but it's certainly neither of those, <laughs> you know. Um, how would you label or describe your hermeneutic method that you just talk about in this book? Well, the how would I describe it? In the end notes, I describe it a different way than I do in the content of the book because I try to put all the technical <laughs> terms, okay, in the end notes. It's part of the idea of the book is not to fill the book with technical terms. But if you were to put a technical term on it, we'd be looking at something that some of your listeners may be familiar with, the inductive Bible study method, where uh, so people can look that up if they want. The inductive Bible study method uh, is sort of the step process that we, we go from. But uh, yeah, predominantly I would come from what I would suggest is the most widely accepted uh, in evangelical circles of, you mentioned it just now, Josh, the uh, historical grammatico uh, in, interpretation uh, or, or angle or way to, way to look at the scripture. And uh, But for me, the way that I that I, that I put it publicly in the book, because those sort of technical terms are in the back, um, is that uh, I, I talk about how to handle the scripture in three simple steps. And uh, I'm a three-point preacher, uh, so I might be Pentecostal, but uh, Baptists love me, you know, three points. And uh, <laughs> and so that's how, that's actually the subtitle of the book. You can handle the truth, but how to, you know, make sense of the Bible in three simple steps. And I break those three steps into three questions. I believe one of the best ways to read the Bible is actually by asking it questions. God's not afraid of questions, and the Bible is certainly not afraid of your questions. Questions are a good thing. And so uh, I encourage the reader as they as they handle the Bible well uh, to ask three questions of the text. And those three questions are simply this. Number one, what does it say? What does the Bible say? You have to start there. You've got to, you've got to know what the Bible says. Secondly, now that you know what it says, Number two, well, what does that mean? What does that mean? That might sound simple, but that's where most of the challenges of biblical interpretation lie. The technical term for that is exegesis. What does it mean? I know what it says, but what does it mean? And then the third question, what does it say? What does it mean? Question number three is, well, what does it matter? What does it matter? Who cares? You know, who cares if that's what the Bible says? Some old story from two, two and a half, three, three and a half thousand years ago. What does it matter to you and I today? What does it matter in the here and now? And uh, that's where we come into the realm of application or not, maybe not even application, but implications. What are the implications of that ancient document for us in the here and now? So, what does it say? What does it mean? What does it matter? That is how I describe my method of interpretation uh, in the book. And basically, I walk the reader through those three simple steps uh, as we take them on a journey of, of discovery. Some nice alliteration, too. So, Yeah. Okay. Well, how can utilizing a, the proper or a proper hermeneutic method help engender church unity? Well, in a sense, it gets us all on the same page, uh, which, of course, always helps that what we want to do is is ensure that unity doesn't become conformity, um, but at least a pattern, a bit like the scientific method, the pursuit of truth. Uh, we can be on the same page because we're asking the same questions and we're asking from a posture of humility, uh, knowing that it's okay to, you know, as I said before, okay to ask questions. So I guess that that method following uh, those, those steps or whichever uh, you choose uh, gets people on the same page because we are uh, asking, yeah, asking the same Questions working around that same method. Uh, what more unifies us? Well, also would I guess bring unity is certain principles or understandings that we have 
um, of Scripture and things that we prioritize. I'm certainly leading a church for 20 years. I know that it's our priorities uh, that really help to unify people. Uh, one of the chapters I have in the book right at the end about, you know, what does it matter? What does this Scripture matter to me? Uh, I, I say, look, one of the things you need to do is understand that we major on the majors and minor on the minors. And that's not really a method, but it's a principle of Bible interpretation of handling the Bible well is to major on the majors and minor on the minors. And I think that's certainly something that fosters church unity and uh, just societal unity. My goodness, can you imagine uh, America would do a different place and uh, her political discourse would certainly be a, a, a better place uh, if we were to understand, okay, let's major on the big things and uh, and minor on the minor things. Yeah, wouldn't that be nice? I I, um, I wanted to, I was going to make a joke about uh, how, yeah, the major prophets are way more important than the minor prophets, but then I remember Zechariah, and I just can't say that. It's such a good book. Um, I do have a question, though. Uh, Chad, is it possible to have unity with people who have a different hermeneutic method than you? Look, it's possible to have unity with everyone. It all depends what kind of unity it is. I don't know, man. Maybe you need to explain your question a bit more. I'm not sure. Uh, just if someone has a different way of interpreting the Bible, is it possible to still have Christian unity with them? Yes, but it depends what Christian unity, what you mean by Christian unity. And how different. Yeah. I mean, I can have unity with anyone, but what is, but, but um, I'm not sure. I know Christian unity is a big part of your podcast, <laughs> but I'm not sure what you mean by that. So. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, just uh, being brothers and sisters and working together for the purpose of Christ's kingdom, I guess would be the most simple definition. Okay. I'm not sure. I haven't thought about it. Okay. All right. Sometimes that is the answer. <laughs> if you don't know something, you yeah. should just say that. Most True. people just like to get caught up in what they're saying and answer something. Don't do that, people. If you don't know, yeah. say you don't know. <laughs> either, that or my, either that or my coffee just wore off, you know, and I'm like, oh, I'm just pulling a blank. <laughs> yeah, one yeah. of the two. But uh, where can people go to find You Can Handle the Truth or any of your other works? Oh, well, um, well, any, anywhere where good books are sold, I guess. I guess in the States, most of you guys get everything from Amazon or Barnes & Noble or whatever. So, so yeah. And otherwise, Chad Mansbridge is pretty easy to Google, chadmansbridge.com. And, um, yeah. But I'm interested to hear from Josh. If you Did you read much of it and how did you go with it? Yeah. Uh, I was able to read through it. Not as thoroughly as I would like to, just because I've been on the move a lot during the summer. But uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I, I liked the the way it was split up, so that we addressed the you know what's there, why does it matter, and everything kind of separately, and kind of thinking through it. it. I read a lot of hermeneutic books, and I feel like most of them get really caught up in the technical aspects of it. So I like the approachability of something like this. Yeah, good. That's good to hear because that was certainly one of my main one of my main goals to be nice and approachable. Oh yeah, hmm. yeah. I mean, maybe I should be easier than a lot of the other ones. <laughs> yeah, no, I have yeah. a grasping God's word. I don't remember who wrote it at the top of my head. But I, I love that book, but it is if you haven't been studying for like theology and are familiar with those terms, I, I feel like it's this is a much better book than that for especially your common Christian. I guess that sounds like a weird term, but I hope people know what I mean. Every day. Yeah, an everyday Christian. I mean, Grasping God's Word is a, is a massive book as well, and I've had people that have done yeah. ministry school. They've, they've actually gone to America to do ministry school. It's one of the first things they do is hermeneutics, and they have 
they use grasping God's word and uh, they've come back. I said, oh, how did that, how did the hermeneutics part of the course go? You know, that's, that's the thing that interests me the most. And they said, oh, it, a lot of it was confusing. I'll never read that book ever again. You know, it's like it didn't really <laughs> sink in. It didn't, it didn't find a place where it really mattered to them. Uh, it seemed a bit convoluted in, in, in their memory. The biggest selling book on hermeneutics is probably uh, how to handle the Bible for all, uh, no, uh, read the Bible for all it's worth. Uh, by an old Pentecostal theologian called Gordon Fee, but that book's now forty years old, and, uh, and yeah, it is. It is a good one. It's, it starts off really strongly on exegesis, but probably my estimation is it's probably eighty or eighty-five percent dealing with genre. So if genre really interests you, how to read a parable, how to read a proverb, how to read prophecy, uh, that type of thing, that's yeah. really their main their main focus. And to me, in my mind, and certainly, certainly practically hands-on as a pastor, dealing with everyday people. You know, I'm not teaching in a Bible seminary. I'm not teaching with um, with people who are passionate. We're all Bible nerds uh, in their young 20s who want to dig deep in the Scripture. I'm dealing with everyday people, some people who won't even pick up the Bible uh, in, in a year, brand-new Christians, people who have uh, retired pastors, on the other hand, who've known Jesus longer than I've been alive. And so certainly dealing with a wide variety of, of people through pastoral church life, uh, the idea of writing a book that can reach everyday people uh, is something that I really felt like there was a market for. And as you found out, Joshua, you've got the paperback edition. It's also full of cartoons and sketches and bonus articles and is laid out in a way that's very, very approachable and uh, is written with a mentoring tone. So it's meant to be conversational, sit down, campfire. I'm just sitting here with my Bible. Let's have a conversation about it. Yeah, it's definitely an underserved population, I feel like, when it comes to hermeneutics because you don't want to hand somebody a book that they would need another book to understand and say, this will explain it. That's not Actually, good. Really, really weird one that I, way I was introduced to hermeneutics wasn't really hermeneutics. Um, it was a book, the Bible as literature by John Gable and a, a few others. Um, it was a collegiate book that was meant to teach you literature and was just using the Bible and its genres to teach you literature. So it was not a Christian book. It was just a book about literature and the Bible. And that just kind of, set my nose to the scent and I was like, hmm, hermeneutics. I like this. I like this genre stuff. So this book was 100% up my alley. Highly recommend. Um, we are going to have in the show notes, we have a link to our reading list, the whole church reading list. And we will have that, this book listed there as well as all of the other ones that we mentioned today. So I know there's been a few. Yeah. All right. That being said, uh, we do like to ask everybody uh, this question. Um, it's just kind of a before the wrap up before anything else we just want to give your everyday christians a single tangible action they could do to maintain unity in the church just one practical thing they could do what would you recommend practically that people listening could just go out and do that would help maintain unity for the whole church uh look the first thing that comes to mind is an old uh, picture i think aw toza uh used where he said you know if you want to tune a whole bunch of pianos uh, all the same. You don't tune those pianos to one another. You take the one tuning fork and you tune each piano to that tuning fork. And Jesus is mm -hmm. the great tuning fork. And one of the great ways that we can have unity with one another, uh, that horizontal style, if you like, is to maintain unity, as it were, vertically, is uh, to keep our own uh, walk with God fresh, alive, focusing on Jesus, worshiping Him, making Him the main thing in our life, if our my relationship with God is fresh and alive 
and uh, and active and genuine and authentic, then my relationships with others will flow out of that. If I'm walking in the spirit, uh, then I know I'll be kind and considerate and gracious to other people uh, because uh, who I walk with, I've become like. And uh, my job is not to become more like other Christians uh, so that I can uh, be more like them to be unified. My job is to become more like Jesus. And as we tune ourselves to him, uh, then that would be the first and probably the ultimate, a practical step of maintaining uh, unity uh, here on the earth. But um, honestly, a sense of unity uh, isn't that hard, mate. It's really not that hard. You just uh, just <laughs> just be kind, uh, be Christ-like, and uh, and uh, be mature. I mean, uh, you know, I think sometimes the, the greatest sort of disunity happens from immature people that are insecure, uh, need to prove themselves, need to differentiate themselves somehow, feel like they need to stand out or whatever. And uh, yeah, just just keep following Jesus, man. So what, what what do you think would change in the world if everyone did that? Everyone was tuning themselves to the same tuning fork that is Jesus Christ. I think some of the, I think as I, as I mentioned before, that thing of majoring on the majors and minoring on the minors, I think that would be something that would that would happen. People would uh, intrinsically keep the main thing the main thing. Jesus did was not afraid to cause dissension. Uh, Jesus was not afraid, as he said at one point, I think he quoted, uh, might have been Micah, certainly one of the minor prophets, and he said, look, I've, I've actually come to bring a sword. There was an aspect of his ministry uh, that was about uh, differentiation, uh, you know, differentiating himself from other people and exposing uh, erroneous attitudes and uh, conduct and beliefs. And uh, But at the, same, uh, at the same time, Jesus kept the main thing the main things, the main things. He was passionate about people, passionate about mercy, passionate about truth, passionate about the honor of God's name. And uh, yeah, so I think in a, in a nutshell, I'd love to see more of the church do that, to, to keep the main things, the main thing. All right. And now that brings us to our God Moment segment, which if you're a returning audience member, thank you for listening to this episode as well. Uh, but you know what this is. And if this is your first time, this is just where we share what God's been up to with us recently, whether that's a blessing or a challenge, a curse, moment of worship, anything like that. Uh, I always make Josh go first to give myself and our esteemed guest as much time as we need to come up with a good God moment from, you know, recently in our lives. So, Josh, do you have a good God moment for us this week? You know, um, well, my wife doesn't listen to this, so I'll speak, I'll speak somewhat freely. Um, that's not a that's not a warning, guys. That's it's just not that serious. Um, we had to flea bomb the house because our animals had to treat them all, do all that stuff. While we were out, we were out for like four hours, and my cat had to be in a crate outside. He does not like not being in the house. He was having like a full blown panic attack. So I was challenged to love this cat because he needed it at that moment, and I don't like cats. Uh, but. You know, when I saw him in distress, I could not help but want to comfort him. And it just kind of reminded me how much more God wants to comfort us when we are in distress. So that'll be mine. All right. I'll go next to give you as much time as you could possibly want, Chad. Uh, at least, you know, 30-ish more seconds. But <laughs> uh, my God moment for this week is that I hit platinum on Apex Legends. Yeah, no, I'm kidding. Uh, not that outlandish <laughs> if you've been listening to the show for a while, but... Uh, my big sister's birthday was just the other day. She turned 32. She doesn't listen to this, so she's not going to get mad. But we are <laughs> blessed that she's been able to reach 32. There's been some ups and downs, and I am so grateful that we can all celebrate her birthday together. I like that we both shared moments that would slightly angry 
anger the women in our lives if they listened, but we know they don't. Yeah. Oh, Hopefully Chad, she does uh, listen. It'd be way funnier. <laughs> it would be funny. They both do. <laughs> well, so, Chad, you have a God moment for us this weekend. <laughs> well, does it have to involve one of the girls in my life? Maybe, maybe that's no. what I what I have to think of. We, we've done a wife, we've done a sister. Uh, I'll have a daughter a, a daughter moment. So I've got a, a couple of daughters and uh, and this week we've, uh, this week my daughter's been asking for a new bed because we're looking to move house and we just nailed one for her. Uh, yesterday we, we bought a great bed, nice old, old sort of uh, old school solid design and I'll be picking that up in uh, about two hours this morning. So maybe that's my my god moment provision for my little daughter that's nice I, old furniture is great but i if i ever move out of this third floor apartment i am not keeping my 80 year old like <laughs> chestnut dresser or whatever it is it's just not worth it it's great that thing weighs 90 pounds they're so complicated to move so I i'm getting rid of it asap but if you enjoyed this episode please consider sharing it with a friend or an enemy you can also share it with a cousin that option's yeah. always available. We might and even prefer that option. We yeah. very much prefer you share it with your cousins. Yeah. Um, and guys, if you want to hear more from TJ and myself, be sure to go over to the website, systematicgeekology.org. You can hear our other podcast and see all the projects we're attached to by hitting the host tab, going down to where it says our names and just, you know, clicking there. Uh, of course, if you want to hear more from Pastor Chad, go get his book. You can handle the truth. Go to Amazon, type it in right now. Don't even, well, finish the episode. Listen to TJ's voice while you type it in. It'll be nice. Yeah, and while you're over there looking stuff up, go to patreon.com forward slash forward slash the whole church podcast and uh, check out one of our shows like Pet Peeves, where we will talk about our pets and our pet peeves with our guests. And thank you for listening to the whole church podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Next week, we'll interview Dr. David Whitcomb about a book he's writing on his father's contribution to young earth creationism and his own research with genetic sciences. After that, we will be continuing our Dividing Scripture series, looking at the beasts of the book of Job. Then we'll be interviewing Joseph Mancuso of the Full Life TV. Then, at the end of season one, Francis Chan will be joining us. Yeah, he doesn't know, I don't think, but that's fine. He'll figure it out. Francis Chan, I don't think has received that invitation, but when he's on the show, we will end season one. Yeah, we might we even let him know that he's on the there. show once he shows up. Yeah, wait till then. Thank you for listening to the Whole Church Podcast. Again, you could sponsor our show at patreon.com forward slash the whole church podcast for as little as $3 a month. Please come back next week to hear more of our guests talk about how we can better educate and unite the church. Coming up soon, we will be discussing the different beasts in the book of Job and how they've been interpreted and what the symbolism of all of that is. Thank you for listening.